How many of you, like me, want God to give you more faith today? Let me see your hand. Who wants more faith? In the balcony, anybody want more faith? Yep, most of you up there do. You may be facing a mountain, as we say, or some overwhelming situation. It's always something for all of us, financially, physically, emotionally, relationally, all kinds of ways. And maybe this is a season where you're asking God, God for a miracle to do something. I, I've been walking through a season where I'm saying, Lord, I want you to expand my faith, enlarge my faith. Uh, you know, the, our theme for this year is higher heights and deeper depths. And I can't help but, uh, as I read the Word, I, I can't help but read it through that filter that I know the Lord, that phrase that I felt the Lord gave me at the beginning of the year. When it comes to asking faith, I'm basically saying, Lord Jesus, would you take me to higher heights because I need more faith. And I believe as we look to the Word of the Lord this morning, God can increase our faith and all in favor say aye. All right, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, just stay there for a moment because we're going to look to the Word of the Lord, the Word of the Lord to give us uh, just what we need today. Many of you know that our daughter Sheridan and her husband moved last summer to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, when you live in Dallas, Fort Worth, to Mama, Pittsburgh feels like the other side of the planet, let me just tell you that. Uh, and when it came to September, this last September, at the time of our daughter our daughter's birthday, our son-in-law, Christopher, had to be away for a couple of weeks right at that time due to some special training he's going through as he's preparing to be a major in the U.S. Army. And so with her in a un, kind of a new place and him being gone, Becky and I went up and we spent a week with our daughter at that time. And it seemed to work out well for everybody. Sheridan was glad. Mom and Dad were coming for a birthday. We were glad to be with our daughter. Christopher was glad that Sheridan wouldn't be alone for her birthday since he had to be away, and plus he was glad to be out of the house when his in-laws were coming, okay? <clears throat> no, that's not true. We have what we think is a great relationship with both of our in-law kids. Isn't that right, Natalie, wherever Natalie is, someplace over there? We are very, very blessed. But while we were in that part of the country, because uh, Becky and I haven't spent, it was our first time to be in Pittsburgh, we haven't spent that much time in that area. We decided um, that we should go see Niagara Falls. How many of you have been to Niagara Falls? Let me see your hand. Okay, many of you have. We had not been there, and uh, since our plan was to go on up into Canada, and we were going to spend a couple of nights in Toronto, uh, we were advised by lots of people who knew we were going to see Niagara Falls that if you go, you must view it from which side? Absolutely. If you're ever planning on going, don't even bother with viewing it from the, the U.S. side. Look at it from the Canadian side. It's far, far better. Do I have some of the pictures? A couple of them. I actually took these with my trusty little iPhone. It's amazing. No, I was not about to go over right there. You're just allowed. Go back to the, the other one. You're allowed to, you, you can literally stand, you can get that close to it. But isn't that absolutely stunning? And then the other one, let's see the other one just for a second. It, it, the magnitude of it uh, was just amazing. You probably got better pictures than I have, but I, we, were, um, we were thrilled. And, and as you approach it, first of all, you know that you're driving up to an area that um, it's you know, a great, one of the great wonders of the world. As you approach it, your anticipation builds because you can feel the mist, literally, and you can hear the roar uh, of the waters. And, and if I know we use, overuse this word for everything, but if there ever was, a word that the, ever was a time that the word awesome should be used, that's it. You can't help but say this is truly awesome. 
Because to stand there and actually see it, not just see it in a picture or in a video or on, on a movie, but to be actually standing there and experiencing it, it literally takes your breath away. And I have to admit that though I'd heard of and, and, and known of the Niagara Falls all of my life, obviously, actually experiencing the splendor and the magnitude of the whole thing was two things to me primarily. It was surprising, surprising how large it was and magnificent it was, and it was absolutely, uh, it was amazing. I want to talk to you this morning for just a few minutes about a moment when God was surprised and amazed. God was surprised and amazed. It was a moment that we find in Scripture that literally seemed to take His breath away. I've discovered a phrase used in theology it sounds kind of fancy and it sounds a bit mysterious, though it's really not all that hard to define. It's really a concept that most of us already know, but um, we may not have heard it put this way. The phrase is this, hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. Well, what does that mean? Hypostatic union. It is the union of Christ's humanity and His divinity in one hypostasis or one individual existence. Now, we have a much probably more common way of talking about this phrase that I'm presenting to you as hypostatic union. And our way is by saying this, He was and is the Son of God and the Son of Man. He was and is fully God and fully man. Well, in theology, they often say it is the hypostatic union of his God nature and his man nature. It's the mystery of God becoming man. It's the two natures of the God-man functioning together in the person of Jesus Christ. There's probably no more revolutionary words that we find in the New Testament than these. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Again, it's that hypostatic union. The only visible member of the Trinity, Jesus Himself, is now both God and man. And as man, He was capable of being surprised and amazed at what He saw. And as we look at this story in Matthew chapter 8, we're going to see how He, as God in the flesh, becomes surprised and amazed. Even though you can't help but wonder, how could that happen? How could Jesus be surprised? How could He be amazed at anything that took place? Well, let's look at the story, Matthew chapter 8, starting with verse 5. Matthew 8, starting with verse 5. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer, or a centurion, many versions say, came and pleaded with Him. And this officer said this, he said, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Oh, but the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under authority, and my, my superior officers and I because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. And then here it is in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth. 
I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the last verse we'll read says, Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home. Because you believed, it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. Some versions of Scripture say Jesus was amazed. Other versions say Jesus was surprised. Those of you who like to read the paraphrase, the message, it says, He was taken back. All this to say that God in the person of Jesus Christ, was surprised at a man's faith. He was surprised at his faith. God was taken aback, and he literally went so far as to say, I've never seen faith like this before. How did Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, have this Niagara Falls moment, if you will, where he was so surprised? And then when you consider that, don't we have to ask, can the faith that this Roman officer had, which surprised Jesus, is that a faith that you and I can have today? As we're asking the Lord, Lord, expand my faith. Maybe we should start by remembering what faith is. We all know what Hebrews says about faith. It is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. But I think it's still mysterious for some people. Even though, did you know you and I walk by faith every day? We walk by faith every day, probably in ways we don't even realize. Let me give you an example. You go to a doctor whose degrees you've never verified. He gives you a prescription you can't even read. You take it to a pharmacist whom you've probably never met and probably can't even see him or her behind their workstation. The pharmacist gives you a chemical compound that you don't even understand, and then you go home and take a pill according to the instructions of a bottle you've never seen before. I don't know about you. I call that faith. I can't help thinking about Becky and I traveled last week, and she's traveling today, and, and you know, we get on this big silver tube. We walk in there. You know, I don't check out the airplane before I get on it to see if it's okay. I mean, a lot of good that would do. But we get on this, this big tube and we walk by. Now, I do look at the, at the pilots if the door's open just to kind of let them know, hey, I'm thinking about you, you know, as we, and I'm praying for you today, buddies or ladies, whoever it is. And, you know, I look at them, but I don't know them. I have no idea if they can fly a plane or not. I'm assuming that American Airlines knows that they can fly or not. To my pilots in the room today, with all apologies, and I know there's several of you here today. And then we go back and we sit down and we buckle up and we let them take us up 36,000 feet into the air with nothing under, underneath us. I don't know about you, I call that faith. It's no big deal to our pilots, but to some of us, it's still a big deal. Faith is kind of like um, Wi Fi. It's invisible, but it connects you to what you really need. How many of you say, yeah, Dan, I live by faith? Come on, let me see your hand. Yeah. Our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, defines faith like this. He says, faith is not believing that God can, but faith is believing that God will do what He said He can do. 
Faith in God is not just believing that He can, it's believing that God will do what He said He can do. Isn't that a great thing to hear from a president? Because where there's faith, then there is rest. There's rest that God can do what He has promised He would do. So why is faith so important here in 2017 and this very advanced age that we live in? Well, it's because all through the New Testament, faith is connected with people who receive miracles. Faith is connected to the people who see the hand of God. Faith is connected to people who experience the power of God. And you'll, you'll see phrases all over the Gospels, especially in Matthew, like, like, like this. It shall be done according to your faith. Or your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you whole. I do have to tell you that I, I find it a little bit ironic that in our text this morning that I've read to you, Matthew 18, we talk about the, uh, how surprised Jesus was and amazed at the Roman officer. But when you get down toward the end of that same chapter, if you read the rest of the chapter, Jesus is rebuking his disciples for so little faith. In fact, four times in Matthew, Jesus rebukes the disciples for their little faith. We're talking about the disciples, those who were closest to Jesus. I think it's possibly why it could be an indication because he was experiencing little faith in the disciples that he was so astonished at the great faith that he saw in the, in the Roman officer. Close disciples, little faith. Non-religious officer, great faith. And it was enough to surprise Jesus. So what surprised him? What was it that took him back? What made the difference that Jesus would look at this man and say, that's great faith? What was it? Well, I want to take just a few minutes here this morning, and I want to look at the three statements that the Roman officer made. We've already read them. I want to uh, take those statements and see if there's a clue for us this morning. The first thing that the Roman officer said was this. He says, I am not worthy for you to come to my house. Say that with me. I am not. Okay, everybody. I. That's the first statement that he makes. I want you to keep all these three in mind as we go through this. The second thing he says to Jesus, he says this. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Say that with me. What was the first one? <laughs> I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. What's the second one? And here's the third one. He says, I too am a man under authority. What's the first one? What's the third one? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. I tricked you. The first one is, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. The second, just say the word and my servant will be healed. And the third, he said, I too am a man under authority. Now, we're going to just blow those phrases up and see what happened as before we close the service. First of all, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. What kind of a statement is that? Well, we can be pretty clear about the fact that it's nothing less than humility. Nothing less than humility. And church, we need to always remember this. Humility is attractive to God. Humility is attractive to God. What does the Scripture say? It says, God opposes the proud, 
but He gives grace to the humble. So what, what is true humility? Is it just saying, oh, I'm, I'm nothing? I'm... What's true humility? It's the right estimate of yourself. I remember um, Tim Tebow. You know who Tim Tebow, the young uh, football player who's had such a strong testimony for Christ in his career. He was being interviewed on one of the morning news programs. This has been a few months ago. And what he said when he was asked about, the, the interviewer said something to him about, um, he said, so why are, why, why are you such a humble man? They recognized his humility. And the response he gave, I don't know if he heard this. Surely he didn't just come up with this at the moment because it was pretty incredible. And I've never forgotten it. When they said, why are you so humble? He says, I think humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. I thought, that was good. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. It's looking at yourself the right way. You know what humility it says? It says, I don't, I, I don't have it all together. I don't have all the resources that are needed to take care of my problem. I don't have everything necessary. I, I, I don't have it. And I need someone beyond myself. Or, or let's look at it this way. You know what the greatest act of humility is? It's, it's when you really come to the point of your life where you finally realize that you're not God. There's a few folks who need to learn that. You realize that you're not really in control. And then you understand that you must surrender control to the one who truly is control, and that's God himself. And it's when you realize that without God, you can't do anything. Without God, you can do nothing. And so this Roman officer, clearly, the first thing he says when Jesus said, I would come, he says, I'm not worthy for you to even come to my house. And, and we need to remember something about this as we look at this text. This Roman soldier, he had more authority than Jesus. He had more money than Jesus. He knew more people than Jesus. He lived in a nicer home than Jesus. He dressed in finer clothes than Jesus. But his humility told him that he needed Jesus. With all that I have and every person that I know, I still can't fix a paralyzed servant because I just run into a dead end. And when you run into a dead end, humility says, I can't do it. There must be someone greater than me. And there is someone. It's a capital S, and his name is Jesus. Bless the name of the Lord. When my resources are done and my resources are gone, I have to humble myself. And that's when my humility says, and I need God. How many of you know you need the Lord today like you've never needed him before? Well, that's what humility does. Whoever you are today, wherever you are in your life journey, faith starts with this. I don't have it all together. I am in need. My money, my position, my job, my degrees cannot fix this problem. Pride will make me artificial when I try to impress, but humility says I'm in need. And this is who I really am, the one who's in need. And the Roman soldier runs straight into the reality of who he is. And the reality of his need, he simply says, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. And that phrase got him in the door with Jesus. And Jesus said, that's why I want to listen to you. You know what humility does, church? 
Humility opens up the ears of Jesus. Humility opens up the heart of Jesus because there's an attraction to humility that He cannot resist. When you come to Jesus trying to give Him all of your credentials, you find yourself slipping further and further from Him because He's not impressed. I mean, goodness, how would you impress the one who created the universe? Are you going to tell Him that you have a bachelor's degree? Wow. You're going to tell him that you, you make six figures in your salary this last year? You know what? He owns it all. God may not be impressed with us, but he is impressed with humility. Don't ever forget that. And when you come into his presence, you don't come all bowed up with who you are. When you come into the presence of Jesus, no, you come bowed down before him. We do what the scripture says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. There's a story of two ships which collided in the Black Sea about 30 years ago. Hundreds of passengers died as they were hurled into the icy waters. And the news of the disaster was even further darkened when the investigation of the accident revealed the cause of the accident. It wasn't technology. It wasn't weather. The problem was not a radar malfunction. The problem wasn't even fog. You know what the cause was of this accident that took place 30 years ago? The report revealed that the cause was stubbornness. Each captain was aware of the other captain's presence, the other ship's presence, but nobody would steer clear. According to the report, neither captain wanted to give way to the other because they were too proud to yield. And then by the time they came to their senses, it literally brought a collision of those two ships. Can we just say this out loud this morning and make it clear that in this life, church, there is only one captain. There is one captain. And let me tell you something. If you're on a collision course with God, you'd better get down on your knees because His ship is unsinkable and you'll be the one going down. That's for sure. That's why the best thing you can do is to get on your knees with all humility and say, Lord, I'm not worthy, but you are. And that's the first ingredient of faith that we see in our passage. The second one is this. The Roman officer said this to Jesus. He said, what was the second thing? <laughs> Just say the word and my servant will be healed. If the first step was humility, let me tell you what I think he was saying in this second statement of just say the word. I think he was saying to the hypostatic son of God and son of man this, Lord, your word is as powerful as your presence. Your word is as powerful as your presence. What he was basically saying was this, Lord, you don't even have to show up. You don't even have to come because your word, you speaking the word is just as powerful as you actually being there. Whether you're reading a chapter a day or three chapters a day or whatever reading, Bible reading plan you're on, never ever, church, never think you're just reading a book. For every time you open the word of God, the presence of God is there. And that ought to be enough for somebody to say hallelujah. 
Why? Because it's His Word. And He is reminding us how powerful this morning His Word is. Hebrews 4 tells us that it penetrates the heart and the soul and the spirit. The great 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon said, you never have to defend the Bible. Never. It's like a lion. You just let it out of its cage and it will defend itself. I couldn't help but think of this phrase knowing I would be sharing it with you this morning what he said. You don't have to defend the Bible. It's like a lion. Just let it out of its cage and it will defend itself when we were singing, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Nothing can stop Him. Just give someone a Bible and let it do its work. Let God do His work. Why? Because if they read those words, those words are as powerful as His presence because those words come from the very mouth of God. Who knows what could happen if you simply made a Bible available to someone that you come in contact with. It can change a life in a moment because His Word is as powerful as His presence. And the Roman officer knew that all he needed was a word from the Lord and his servant would be healed just the same as if Jesus had showed up at his house. There's a song that Andre Crouch wrote years ago, and we used to sing it here. Some of the, the older choir members will remember this. We need to hear from you. We need a word from you. If we don't hear from you, what will we do? Did you ever sing that? Wanting you more each day to show us your perfect way. There is no other way that we can live. Church, that's because His Word is as powerful as His presence. Say that with me. His Word. You know, you might hear someone say sometimes, and I, and I, I hear this from time to time, they might say, you know what? It's just been so long since I've really felt the Lord. It's been so long since I've really, really sensed the presence of the Lord. Well, I want to tell you this morning, there's a remedy for that. There's a remedy this afternoon. There's a remedy this morning for that. Get in the Word because His Word is as powerful as His presence. You know what great faith is? Great faith is coming to God and saying, Lord, I don't have it all together. I don't have the resources. I can't possibly fix my problem. That's the humility. You know what great faith is, church? It's, God, if you said it in your Word, that's good enough for me. And finally, I'm going to give you the third one, the third statement from the Roman centurion which surprised and amazed the Son of God was this, and it's just as important as the other two. He said, I too am a man under authority. I too am a man under authority. It had to be that the Roman centurion noticed something of the nature and character of God in Christ Jesus that is so amazing. Listen one more time to what he said in verse 9. He says, I know this, I'm meaning I know you can heal my servant. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. This centurion was saying, I walk under the authority of Rome. I am a man under authority. And therefore, because he was a man under authority, he knew how to recognize and he knew how to honor authority on every level. He identified it. He saw it. He knew how to recognize it and he knew how to honor it. 
He gets orders and he obeys them. He gives orders and they are obeyed because he is under authority. He recognized that in the Lord Jesus himself because we could say it this way. It takes one to know one. That's the way we would say that. And the amazing thing about this is that, is that even Israel does not recognize this about Jesus because Israel is not under his authority. Israel had the very Son of God, the Messiah there, and they would not submit to him. It was a man like this Roman centurion who recognized the authority of Jesus, just like a, a rebel can recognize a rebel. He recognized the authority of Jesus. And here's what I think was being said. A man under authority, listen, don't miss this. A man under authority, a woman under authority does not have to be asked twice to do something. A man under authority does not have to be asked twice. A woman under authority does not have to be asked twice to do something. Some people will respond to authority by not doing what they've been told and when confronted, why didn't you do that? They're ready to give all the excuses. Well, it's because you don't understand. You don't, you don't really get what we're dealing with here. You, you, you just don't, you don't understand. They've got all of their excuses why they would not do what they were told by their authority. You don't get it. You don't understand how challenging that is. You don't know what you ask. Well, here's something that I learned recently, and that is this. I want you to listen to me carefully. You can make excuses or you can make progress, but you cannot do both at the same time. Just let that sink in for a second because it hit me hard when I heard it. You can make excuses or you can make progress, but you cannot do both at the same time. A man or a woman truly under authority does not have to be asked twice to do something. And further, you're not really under authority until you are asked to do something that you do not want to do. I feel the love in the room this morning. If you want to know if you are a person under authority, then just be asked to do something that you don't want to do and see how you respond. When was the last time you were asked to do something by your authority that you did not want to do, and how did you react? Now, I understand there can be abuse of authority. I get all that, but that's not what we're talking about today. Anyone can do something that they agree with. But if you're asked to do something that you do not want to do, then you have to examine your response and then question whether or not you are a person truly under authority. And this soldier recognized authority in Jesus. He recognizes that Jesus says, I don't do anything unless I see my Father doing it. He was a man under authority. And he recognizes that he's in full submission to his Father. Not my will, but thine be done. No question about it. Church, don't you and I have to ask ourselves, Lord, how many times have you had to ask me more than once to do something? How many times has that happened in my life? I love it when you ask me to do something I want to do. That's so terrific. I get the glory goosebumps and everything. It's terrific. I love that. But it's when you ask me to do the things that I really don't want to do that reveals who I really am. There's a story of a, an army captain who was going to battle in World War II. The captain said, 
But when they were getting off those amphibious boats and going into one of the dangerous places, the captain said, if I give the command to duck or to get on the ground, anyone who says why got killed. But the ones who immediately listened to their authority and obeyed, they survived. Is this hitting anybody else today? And if you're like me this morning, don't you have to ask yourself, Lord, how many times have I asked why when you've asked me to do something? I know the why question is one of the biggest questions of our Christian journey and our Christian faith. Why am I going through this? Why? Blah, blah, blah. I wish I could answer all the why questions that come to my office. I wish I could. Quite often I end up saying, put that on your list, take to heaven with you. That's when you're going to find out. But when God gives an instruction to you, when you've heard the prompting of the Lord in your heart, this is what I'm asking you to do. Well, what if it's just me? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? I, I can't do that because, because see, that would be so hard. And then, well, you can make excuses or you can make progress in God, but you can't do both. That's just the way it is. How many times have I asked, Lord, why, why, why is it you want me to do that? How many times have you had to ask me two, three, four, or more times to do something? And I resisted you, or worse, defied you. I will not do that. Am I really a man under authority? Are you? And if the answer to that is maybe not, is it possible? This is what we're getting to today. I draw this to a close. If it's possible that we may not be the person under the authority that we think we are, that we want to present that we are, is it possible that that is the ingredient that has taken away slivers or components of your faith? And you simply stood back and allowed that to happen. I think we should all pray this morning starting with me. God, I want to be ready and able to do exactly what you ask me to do and to do it when you ask me to do it. Does anyone join me in that prayer today? Let me put it where it hurts. I got, I got to get one in on you today before you go. Lord, you've asked me to be a tither probably more than once. And I have given you all the excuses why I can't do that right now or ever. Has my lack of obedience diminished my faith? Rather than enlarging it, which I keep saying I want. Lord, you've told me to share the gospel with people that I work with. And I get you know, nervous and my hands start sweating and, you know... All kinds of things. You've and then I just back off. I don't want them to think I'm weird or something. But you've told me to share the gospel with some people that I work with or that I'm connected to somehow. And you've told me more than once. And, and I've given you all my excuses. 
Maybe it's time to ask the question, has my lack of obedience diminished my faith? Bethesda, let's learn something from the Roman centurion today. Let's ask God to give us a heart that says, God, I'm not worthy of you. There's no question, I don't have it all together. I don't have the answers. I'm at my wit's end, but I'm going to trust you, and you are the one to whom I'm going to bow in submission. And from the Roman centurion today, the second thing we're learning, let's learn that we're going to trust his word. First of all, if for any reason you've gotten lax or sloppy or too relaxed with your time in the Word, get back into it. Come on, if you fell down, get back up. Get back into the Word of God. Even when you're going you're to trust His Word, even when you don't feel His presence. And you're going to walk from this place today believing that His Word is as strong and as powerful as His presence, and we will subject ourselves to it. Finally, I want to be a man. I want to be a woman under authority. Lord, please give me sensitivity to you so that you won't have to ask me twice. Just say the word and I will obey it even if I don't like it. I used to tell my kids, you don't have to like it, you just have to do it. That's all. They love it when I said things like that. And I believe, church, with all my heart that when a man or a woman will adopt the position that I've just described, a place of humility, a place of trust in the word of God, and being truly a person under authority. I believe when you pray that prayer and you ask God to do that and you mean it with everything within you, that the hypostatic Son of God will be surprised and amazed and that just by you doing that, here's what can happen. I think that it's very possible he's just going to say, Stop! Stop! I've not seen faith like that in all of Israel. That's what our text tells us today. And let me tell you something about great faith. Great faith will see great miracles take place. Great faith, I said, will see great miracles take place. How many of you are in need of a great miracle today? Say yes. Bow your heads with me for prayer. I've made it as clear as I can say it. But how many of you are going to say with me by uplifted hand? Pastor Dan, I have a great need, and I am needing a great faith to see the miracle that I need. If that's true of you, raise your hand and hold it up. I'm in great need, and I need great faith to see the miracle. You can put your hands down. Lord, we've said it, and we're praying it today. If what we are seeing in your word today is going to be true for us, we have to apply it. Give us the humility to come before you because we understand that you are attracted to humility like nothing else. Our humility will at least get us in the door with you. And Lord, we're, we're saying with the Roman centurion, we're not worthy for you to even come to our house. We know that. Lord, we're going to say today, we're going to say, Lord, would, would you just say the word? Just say the word, and our servant will be healed. Just say the word, my marriage will be restored. Just say the word, and my wandering child will come back.
Just say the word, my body will be healed. Just say the word. We need a word from you, Jesus, today. Because your word is as strong as your presence. And Lord, because we want to have large faith today, great faith today, we are saying, make us a man under authority. Make us a woman under authority. So that you don't have to ask us twice. When you speak, when you give a command, we listen and we obey. And we'll be quick to respond. Basically, here's what we're saying today. Lord, enlarge our faith. Expand our faith. Even as we look to you to be our commander-in-chief. We say it in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. Would you stand with me, please?